Father in heaven, once again we come unto thee this beautiful Sunday afternoon. Indeed, life is like that. We have beautiful weather, we have sunshine, but there come the clouds sometimes, there comes the rain, and there come the storms. And we're so glad that we have with us the master of ocean and earth and skies, the one who's able to calm the storm, to say peace be still, not only to the weather, but in our hearts, which are often burdened, in our souls, which are many times stormy. Help us to rest in you. Come unto me, ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest unto your souls, said the Lord Jesus, and we hold that promise now as we look into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, for this afternoon's worship service, I feel moved to read out of the book of Philippians, book of Philippians, the letter of Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, chapter 1. Chapter 1 from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. This is such an encouraging chapter, especially in our times of, as mentioned, storms and, and difficulties and frustrations, but it's also good, so good to look back into the Word of God for comfort and strength. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from our God, God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the day until now, the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you, all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve the things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that in my bonds in Christ are made manifest in all the palace, so that my bonds in Christ are made manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. 
For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to, the, which is to, them, that, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I've read up to and including verse 30. This letter by the Apostle Paul to the Philippians is a little bit different than others, especially in its introduction. In the introduction, the Apostle Paul says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Almost in every other epistle, he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ one that was chosen and sent to be the minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. Although he had so much work also with the Jews. He, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, but he was involved so much with the Jews. One reason especially, because he himself was a Jew, and he had a great compassion for his kinsmen in the flesh, he says in Romans chapter 9. But in this chapter... Perhaps it's the tone has changed or the wording has changed because the Apostle Paul wants to be identified as a servant. A servant. The whole uh, four chapters of this letter, the Apostle Paul brings to the forefront of our service to God, of our ministry to God, and how we are to serve the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You will see that he has a deep affection for the church. He was there since its inception in that very difficult time when he was uh, jailed for uh, the episode with that maiden girl that was speaking the divinations and he was put into prison because he took away their welfare if you will and he was placed in prison and uh, with Silas together and we know the story of that how the account of that how they were singing at midnight joyful praises to the Lord you know just as the book of Romans has one key word which is repeated something like 35 times, the righteousness of God. Perhaps the, the word that, the key word in this book is the joy of the believer. Um, it is mentioned in this short book of four chapters 17 times. 17 times. That's got to say something of what Paul the Apostle was emphasizing to the church. Because this church didn't seem to have a lot of problems, didn't seem to have a lot of difficulties, at least doctrinal difficulties, at least, you know, the heavy um, theological debates. But they did have a problem with unity. 
And that comes out loud and clear in chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul brings to the forefront who is the example that we should follow when it comes to church unity. No, none, none else but Jesus Christ. The one that left his heavenly glory, the one that left his, his kingly reign, if you will, to come and become a man, who was in the form, who was in fact God, didn't think it be a robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a man. He took upon himself flesh. He condescended to men of low estate to be with us, to live with us, to feel our pain, our suffering, to feel everything that we as humans go through. It says, he is not a high priest that was not touched with the infirmities of our flesh, but was in every point test, uh, tested as we are, yet he was without sin. So they did have this fly in the ointment, if you will, in this church. And that was enough for the Apostle Paul to write four fairly lengthy chapters on who they are supposed to be in Jesus Christ. First of all, he's very thankful after the introduction that he's a servant with Timotheus. Uh, together, he sent them to the letters to the to the members and to the bishops and deacons that were in Philippi, and he says, "Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ." Very familiar greeting. It wasn't just uh, "God bless you." It was he's wishing. It was like a prayer to to the church. I pray that God gives you His grace and God sends you His peace. And Jesus Christ, who is the author of peace. Always, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. The Apostle Paul had something to really look forward to when he communicated with, church, with the church. He looked forward to doing this in joy and remembering them in joy. This is such a beautiful reminder to us that although we are different people, although we come from different backgrounds, um, different ethnicity, different cultures, every one of us is special, is precious to God. And so every one of us should be precious to each other. This is what kept the unity in the church of Philippi, at least until this point, where they had good remembrances of Paul himself. When they would maybe often talk about, do you remember the time the apostle Paul was here? And he... We thought, that, you know, people thought that he was an enemy. He was placed into jail. And he, he even, maybe the Philippian jailer gave that over and over, this, his experience that he had and how he tried to kill himself for fear that he may himself be executed for these prisoners being uh, released under his guard. Lydia, the seller of purple, and the women that were gathered at the riverside, there are many wonderful memories that were cherished on both sides, but especially the, the Apostle Paul because of who he was. Because at one stage, he persecuted and killed Christians. Stephen being the, one of the prime examples given to us. He held them to prisons. He brought them before the courts. And knowing this, how beautiful the children of God are because they follow Christ, it just, it stayed with him all his life, I believe. Not that he felt uh, guilty anymore of their crime, but he felt regret for what he did. 
He even said, I am the least of the apostles. He's not worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church. And so he thanks God upon every remembrance of these redeemed believers in Philippi. And I think we can all go back to our days when we first started out in our repentance, in our families, that we were raised to know the word, to know the truth, to be exposed to saving faith. And we had so many fond memories of the church in Toronto. We miss those days, don't we? As imperfect our choir was, as small our CFG gatherings were, as the difficulties we went through with each other together, as the building projects um, I remember it was just like yesterday. Brother Zarka was here knocking down walls and smashing up pianos to get him out of the basement and in the other church. And, and um, these are times we remember. We can laugh at them. But these are, the, these are the experiences that we have and we can look back upon. We can look upon the, the medical emergencies we had with Brother Jes Josiah and how the whole church was affected by his illness. And then one day he becomes a baptized believer. The prayers that went out, and that's the next uh, verse here. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. And being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the one that begun the work, it's not that we of our own wisdom or understanding or volition that all of a sudden we decided to become Christians one day. God was working in us from our mother's arms. As Paul says of Timotheus, you know, the faith and love that were in your mother and grandmother. These were God's workings and giving opportunities for each and every one of us to some degree or, or other to have that seed implanted in us, that word of God, that the Bible says that when we are old, we will not depart from. And he says here, he, he prays for the fellowship, this common union in the gospel from the first day. If you notice here that throughout this chapter, he's speaking of the ministry, how we as a church need to be involved in the gospel. Not everyone is a bishop or a deacon here, but people pray. I'm sure that the women that were on the bank of that river, I'm not sure if it was a harbor, but they were on the river bank and they were praying. I'm sure that they didn't stop praying when they became Christians, even more so now, with purpose and hope and promise. And Paul the Apostle was confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a work in you, that's what he's speaking about. He had begun a work in you so many, so many years ago, maybe five, ten years before this letter came out. And now he's expecting them to grow and to mature and to become stronger for a purpose, for the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake. The Apostle Paul never tired of the gospel. He didn't say, well, you're all saved now. We don't need the gospel anymore. Oh, how much more we need the gospel. Even as it is meet for me to think of this of you because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. Listen to what he says. 
This is not the Apostle Paul sitting in some kind of a jail cell that is away from the noise and the crowds and, and he's just waiting, biding his time. He is in, a, in the midst of a hostile enemy. This is that beast that Daniel saw, the fourth beast in the, the big statue. This fourth empire, the Roman Empire, that was different than any other, that he wanted a, another look, he wanted a closer look at this beast, this Roman Empire. They were merciless, they were ruthless, they were killing Christians left, right and center, they were crucifying them. They were giving them to wild beasts. And Paul's now waiting his time in a prison cell. He said, even as it is meet for me to think of you, this of you all, what, that God will complete his work in you. And you've been, you've been regenerated for a purpose. God is not finished with us as believers once we are saved. Even as it is meet for you to for me to think this of you because I have in you in my heart, not only is, is the church in Philippi in his mind, not only is he remembering them, but he has them in his heart. He belongs, they belong, if you will, to him in the, in the sense that he was their father. He says, you don't have many fathers. You have 10,000 instructors, but you don't have many fathers. And it's very precious when someone has been used as God to, to um, counsel with individuals and see, watch them grow and develop and then become strong believers to, to carry on that relay baton or the torch into the future. This is what Paul was looking for, the Apostle Paul, and, and he mentions it further on down. He says... Inasmuch as both in my bones, I have you in my heart, even if I'm in chains, and also when I'm defending the gospel. Do we, do we understand what Paul was saying here in the defense of the gospel? He was on trial. He was on trial in front of Nero. And perhaps he was in some way attempting to convince the Roman authorities and emperor that we Christians, we're good. We don't cause evil. We don't cause trouble. We just show love. We have a, a risen savior, a master that we serve. Maybe to gain some kind of liberty. I mean, brothers and sisters, we're facing that today. We're under threat of having our liberties removed, of being persecuted. This is not just if maybe, a speculation. This is true as we speak. Where believers have to go before governments, before governors and kings, and they have to defend why they're doing this. It happened in the past, it's going to happen again. So that we could worship God freely. And if we don't, that doesn't stop our ministry. It never stopped Paul's ministry. He was in prison. Content. If you read to the very end of this book, very content. And he says, I'm here for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. To confirm the gospel in believers and to defend the gospel amongst the unbelievers for God is my record God is my witness how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ he had the believers in his hearts he had the feet he felt compassion from his bowels for them I mean this is a this is the sign of a true shepherd that loves the sheep that is willing to die for the sheep that is willing to face the wolves that is willing to nurture the sheep. God is my witness, how greatly I long after you all 
in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. In this word, in this uh, verse, judgment here means in, in discernment because of, the, uh, because of the confusing ties, because of the voices that were there then and there in the, in, in the Roman Empire. The false prophets, he faced many. You just have to read 2 Corinthians. He faced many false teachers. And he says, I want you to not only have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the ability to discern the voices that are out there. Because you need to have the truth in order to discern the, the confusing voices that are out there. And how much more so today, when there is so much going on, so many voices. I can't believe how much there, there is out there. And people are confused and they are following others because it seems that's where the majority is going. Because they're mocking the, the, the traditional Christian values. And Paul is saying, no, stay, stay steadfast. Be discerning. That ye may approve the things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense. We had the defense of the gospel. Now, without offense, without any blame in the day until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, because we have this discernment, because we have this judgment, because we have the word of God, then we can approve what is more excellent. We are able to differentiate what are the important things, what are not important things. What are the things that need to be valued and what things are not to be valued? In a single term, perhaps the best things. The best things for the Christian. That ye may be sincere. That word, I think it's been expounded many times across the, this pulpit. Sincere means without wax. Literally. Without wax. Tested by the sunlight. And it, it, it comes from the, the, the term of, of when a pot was made, apparently, and it had cracks. Instead of remaking the pot, they would repair it. And they would put wax in the cracks, smooth it over, and then paint it over so no one would see the cracks. One way of testing it is putting it against the sunlight. Maybe it went through the somewhat through the paint as well, and they would see, oh, there's light coming through here. Without wax, without, uh, by the test of the sunlight, by the truth, I can see whether this is indeed a genuine statement or genuine act or whatever it is, test it. Without, uh, without offense till the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to test the spirits. We are to test the, 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 the sound bites that are coming from this world and even from each other, which we may be picking stuff up from other people and then we think it's, it's true because the believer said it. But test all things. Try all things. Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and the praise of God. This is what the Apostle Paul and what Jesus Christ is expecting from those that have believed, those in whom he has begun a good work, that there will come one day this fruit of righteousness, this fruit that will manifest God in us and therefore give glory to God for what we are doing. And that could be one of many things. Paul says he talked about the first fruits of Achaia. Those that were born again or, or baptized, if you will, in, in the province of Achaia. There he is talking about believers, new believers that came from the sowing of the seed, the gospel, and became children of God. There are other fruits that God expects of us. Whether it's... <clears throat> Fruits of charity, uh, ministering to one another, 
helping one another, praying for one another, as Paul was praying from a prison cell. There's all kinds of fruit that God expects us to, to produce. This is not something that we manufacture within ourselves. Fruit comes from growth, not from fabrication. It comes from growth, and that growth is from within us, which is the life of Christ within us. And it's all part of maturing. You don't get fruit immediately after the seed is sown. First the blade, then the shoot, and then the flower, and then the fruit. And it takes time. But he expects fruit from us. And these are fruits of righteousness. Things that are acceptable unto God. Things that are not acceptable unto God. It may be a good deed, but as we heard a couple of Sundays ago, though I have the, the tongues of men and of angels, but have not charity, the love of God in us. We're just clanging brass and tinkling cymbals. We're nothing. This must be generated by the love of God in us. And the motive for that uh, fruit must be the love of God. Verse 12, but I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have rather fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. Here we go, the gospel again. The ministry of the gospel, even his suffering, even his imprisonment, resulted in the furtherance of the gospel. That's our life. Dear ones, that is our life to to preach the gospel, whether through words from a pulpit, whether it's to someone on the, in, in a hospital bed, whether it's someone at school or work, whether it's to our children, that the gospel is continually preached and taught. You know, in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, you know, in the midst of all of that cataclysms and judgments and... and um, Destruction that is going on. There was an angel that came out with the everlasting gospel. And he went throughout and proclaimed it throughout the whole world. This everlasting gospel, this gospel which will never die. Don't think for one minute that the gospel is only for the unconverted. The gospel is for us. How can we apply much of that? Beatitudes. When we, when we miss the ABCs of our faith, then we, we've missed the foundation. The Beatitudes, all the beautiful Christian attitudes that we as believers need to have. And then he says... All of this has happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, they're revealed, they're made known in the palace and in all other places. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not bound. It is not bound and it shouldn't be bound. We should not have a reason why we cannot continue to propagate the gospel, but it is free. The gospel is free, but it comes at a cost. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ does not come without a cost. He said, anyone that wants to follow me, let him take his cross upon him, upon him and then follow me. We've got to die with Christ. We've got to be willing to carry the birds. We, we have to be willing to suffer. I don't know if I in my lifetime will ever come to that point where I will have to give my life for Jesus. But I do know this, that if I'm not faithful in the small things, I will not be faithful in much. I will always find a reason why I shouldn't do it, why I shouldn't preach the gospel. If I'm ashamed to preach the gospel to someone in a cafeteria when I have the opportunity, um, will I be ashamed to do that? when I'm before a judge or a king, when all of the world is looking at you because all of a sudden you are now going counterculture, you are saying that what the government is doing is wrong or what this is a sin, what is going on, this will be judged by God. 
unless you repent. I've seen that happen in the 21st century. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word. This is the fruit of Paul's testimony, the fact that he resisted uh, sin, resisted evil, and preached the gospel. Now he's inspired many brethren. They're all going out there and preaching. It's like the ones in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Seeing you're surrounded by so many, so great a cloud of witnesses. You have been given this cloud of witnesses to, to encourage and to exhort. And, 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 and you are suffering with. It, it, it's an inspiration that the Apostle Paul was providing by his suffering. It wasn't for naught. The word was being preached to the guards. The word was being uh, inspiring others to do the same. And the church multiplied. The church grew. But then there are some that preach Christ out of envy and strife. Paul was getting all the attention. Paul was getting converts. Almost like a David and Saul type relationship. Right? David has killed his tens of thousands, but Saul has only killed thousands. And so there was jealousy between Saul and David. There were some preachers that saw Paul was getting a lot of attraction because what he was saying was meaty and weighty and true. And he was willing to die for it. And he said, some preach out of envy. Others, because they want to have debates. They want to strive with me. And some also have goodwill. There, there's a whole mixture of preachers out there. But the, was Paul so much concerned about that? The one preached Christ out of contention? Not sincerely. He's got another agenda. Supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love. Knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. This, to me, gives me additional weight to Romans 1.16. Because he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation. The words are the power, not the messenger. The words are the power and not the messenger. And whether you had a preacher or not, and someone picked up a Bible and started reading that and started getting convicted, it's the Holy Spirit that eventually gives the conviction and the understanding and is able to do that. We should never underestimate the Word of God. It is what converts us. 1 Peter 1. We're born again by the Word of God of God the word of God that seed that falls in our heart and to which the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and understanding and the, the two are a potent uh, couple if you will that will convert the soul the Lord of the law is perfect converting the soul the Holy Spirit is God's almighty spirit that effects the regeneration The other thing that caught my attention in reading this, when he talks about, in, in verse, going back to verse 7, he says, you are all partakers of my grace. What do you mean your grace, Paul? It's not Paul's grace. Paul is not meeting out grace. It's the grace that was given to the apostle Paul to preach the word, and they are accompanying him in the preaching. They are accompanying him in, in disseminating the gospel. And they are participants in the work of God. I cannot e emphasize more, and I've often said in the last few months, we need to engage the believers in Toronto far more. Are we going to be participants 
and partakers of this grace or are we going to be spectators? Are we going to to be watching from the sidelines? Hebrews 12, when it says, um, when it talks about the, 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 the being surrounded by all these witnesses, he's not talking about spectators. This is... This may give a picture like this is at a, an arena with all these uh, athletes, but that's not what he's talking about. Let me just um, reiterate this, and I've said this a few times from this pulpit. Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. These witnesses were Old Testament witnesses. They were dead. They were buried. So it's not that you're just looking at these witnesses. They are examples of faith, courage and suffering. And we are running with them. 2,000 years later or 600 years later. But we are running with them. We are participants in this race. Not bystanders. We are priests and kings according to 1 Peter 2 or 3. 2. We are kings. We are, God has created us as a royal priesthood. Every one of us represents God to this lost and dying world. Every one of us is now working in the ministry of his temple, not just the high priest. And this is what we need to really latch on to, to realise God doesn't want spectators. You know who the spectators are? The angels in heaven. They're looking down. They're watching us. Every time someone is converted, every time someone does something to glorify God, every time someone does something that that magnifies Jesus Christ, they give loud adoration and praise to the living God. So the angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. We are not spectators. We are all co-laborers together with God. It says in 1 Corinthians 3. I beseech every one of us to take on that vision of being this representative ambassador for Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of God, of reconciliation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors. We represent the living Christ. We are his arms and legs, his feet, his mouth. We are his eyes on this earth. And the, the benefit, if I, if I can put it this way, every time we engage in some form of activity in the church that glorifies God whether like I mentioned earlier whether we are building a a new place of worship whether we are packaging clothes for another country or, 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 or sending off a container or giving to the poor or working in soup kitchens or ministering the gospel or every time we do something like that together we experience each other's Um, cooperation, we experience each other's zeal for the gospel. We're going to go through hard times. We're going to go through difficult times where members meet. That's where friction is, just like there was in in the church at Philippi. But you know what? When we look back, when we look back 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we say, wow, look what God has done. Look what God has done. And I was glad that I was a partaker in this ministry of grace. When we can mourn with those that are mourning. When we can pray for those that are in despair. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. This is the way you generate and and, and you you maintain, if if you will, the, the unity of peace, the bond of peace by working with each other not by avoiding each other 
Not by saying, I've got my little thing to do here. The rest can do what they want. This is what the Apostle Paul was trying to drill home to the church at Philippi. And then he said, look, I'll tell you how much this means to me. I'll tell you how much the gospel means to, to me. I know I'm here for a reason. I'm no, I know I'm here because I preach the gospel. I preach the truth. And people cannot accept the truth. But I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. He said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, whether I live or die. It doesn't matter anymore, you know? It doesn't matter. I'm going to a better place. It's far better for me to go to the realms of glory than to stay on this earth that's full of trouble and difficulties and, and struggles. He said, but you know what? I love the church so much. I'm willing to suffer. Whether I live or die, I am still the Lord's. You know, there was a... A preacher in, the, in, in England, I just read this recently. He was an orphan. His name was John Fawcett. And he became a Christian at the age of 16 at the preaching of George Whitfield. Whitfield and Wesley were sort of contemporaries. One was a Methodist, one was a Presbyterian. And yet they respected each other so much. But this man, John Fawcett, was converted at the preaching of George Whitfield. A few years later, he started his own church. And the church was a small, poor country church where he was preaching the gospel. And he received probably a good report from others. And he was invited to replace the John Gill in a church in London. England and he accepted the position he thought wow this is a, a greater service for God now maybe that was going through his head but the day came where his wagons were all packed all his belongings were ready to go and he had his final sermon his farewell sermon And after his sermon, the congregation was weeping and crying that he was going to leave them now. And that was enough for John Fawcett to say, no, I don't want to leave this congregation. I don't want to leave this congregation. And he went on to write that well-known hymn, which we have, I believe, in our blue books also. Blessed be the tie that binds. Our hearts in Christian love. He felt the tie that bound. He felt the ties between fellow believers of like precious faith, and he couldn't leave them. And whether or not that was a big church and a big uh, opportunity for him, he stayed with his little congregation. And he wrote that hymn. This is the attitude that Paul the Apostle had. As great as he was an apostle that we look back now, he was a great man of God, but not because of his own doing. He said... Christ lives in me, yet not I that live. But it's Christ that live. I live now, but it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me, he said. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants every one of us as believers. Though written 2,000 years ago, he wants us to have this Christ living in us, to have this heart one for another, to have this mind of, of, of remembering one another, to have us praying for one another 
And all these experiences that we have over time, we look back and say, the Lord has led us thus far. And look how great are works that God has made in our midst. What a beautiful letter. And it gets even more beautiful as we go along in chapters 2, 3 and 4. May it stir us up. May it give us that inspiration and strength to be more and more partakers of his work so that we can be far more partakers of his glory and of his reward to all those that love his appearing. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Today we have Bibles. We have all forms of the Bible, electronic or written. We have cars. We have transportation methods. We have food and clothing more than adequate. And yet we have excuses as well. We have excuses of why we can't do it. We don't say, how can I do it? If there's an obstacle in my way, how can I get around that obstacle, that interference? The Apostle Paul looked every which way that he could get to Rome. And he eventually did. And when he got there, under the circumstances, he was put into prison. And even in prison, he didn't have an excuse. As a matter of fact, he glorified God and the gospel was magnified, not only to the prison guards, but throughout the palace. I pray that all of us would not use some kind of excuse not to propagate the gospel, not to do the works of charity as Christ asked us to do. I pray that all of us will have the mind of Christ as Paul so vividly explained in the second chapter of Philippians. To that end, may God bless his word and to him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.